is the Counterculture Comic Podcast, and this week we are live in the same room. Not you're going to hear this recorded, but I am in the same space, breathing the same air as Brock. Not as grand as you would expect, um, but uh, we're still going to do our job, and that is talking about a comic. Uh, although we're going to do less of our job, and we're in the same room, we're only going to talk about one comic, and that is Lost at Sea. Uh, but we've got some other stuff we uh, have been waiting to talk about. Uh, Civil War, since I finally saw it. And uh, Preacher, the pilot, is out. Although we have to wait another week for the next one to come out. But we've got a taste, and we're going to blather. I'm Nick Hemsing. And I'm Brock Wosham. Yeah, so we haven't podcasted in a while because I had conventions and some other stuff. But for... The first time after 77 episodes, we are actually recording in the same room because Nick is visiting me over Memorial Day. And yeah, you know, everybody's talked about Civil War ad nauseum continuously. You can't escape it. So we'll probably keep that a bit short because... What else, what else are we going to say else, that yeah. pretty much everybody else has said? Um, it's not like we're going to have this hot take that all of a sudden we can't stand it. Scorching hot take, bro. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, I think the real take, is, yeah, we, we liked it probably as much as everybody else did. Yeah. Um, the uh, And then you, you can do all the comparisons with it and Batman v Superman, which everyone else has also done. So... Um, we could wrap it up and say it's it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, you already know this. Yeah. Ant-Man, Spider-Man, and Black Panther stole the show. Blah, blah, blah. Cap and Iron Man actually had logical points. Blah, blah, blah. It's all been said. It's an excellent movie. If you haven't seen it yet, what's wrong with you? Go see it right now. If you have seen it, you should probably just go see it again. Yeah. Yeah. That would, that would work. Um, uh, I think that... Uh, uh, we're just keep saying that Marvel has not managed to screw up their movie universe mm-hmm. yet, and um, yeah, um, but we've got a, and now we've got this, and now we've got Suicide Squad coming up. So, which at least of all we're hearing better well, things. Well, X Men Apocalypse. Oh, X Men Apocalypse just released yeah, this weekend. Which which it's not hearing too much about. Um. Not too much good. Yeah, it's kind of mixed. I mean, it has like a 50% of Rotten Tomatoes, which, you know, means it's not a great movie, but it's not terrible. Um, As far as Civil War, I don't think it's the best Marvel movie. I still think Winter Soldier is probably the best Marvel movie. Um, It might be the most fun, though. It's either that or Avengers or Guardians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Guardians was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. I think Civil War was the. Uh, I think it just succeeded on being a great payoff, um, and the um, after um, Age of Ultron, which I, which I enjoyed, uh, I thought of it, but it's it's received a, a decent amount of criticism. Um, the uh, Age of Ultron, yeah, Age of Ultron, yeah, yeah. Civil War seems to have come off as the better ensemble movie uh, between that. The uh, it's almost like a makeup ensemble for uh, Age of Ultron. Well, the thing about Age of Ultron is that apparently about forty minutes of film hit the cutting room floor, and you felt that in the movie. Like the Black Widow Hulk scene didn't make much sense. The Thor scene made no sense, 
and there were things that took you out of the movie. Uh, and those are probably the two biggest examples I can think of. Civil War didn't have any of that. No. There were plot holes, but you were having so much damn fun with the movie, you didn't care. And any movie that has 15 significant speaking roles is going to have plot holes. You just can't juggle that many characters and that many things and pull it off perfectly without being able to, you know, dig into the cracks and pick up holes. I mean, it's just, it's impossible to do in two hours, or two hours and 20 minutes. And kudos for Sony for making the right decision. And uh, Yeah, just give uh, Spider-Man back. Yeah, in however contract way they did it, the uh, toss him back in with the... uh, with the um, MCU, and um, and they did a great job with them, as you mm-hmm. kind of expect. So we, it was the only way to really invigorate uh, the Spider-Man franchise at this point, um, and they saw that. They saw that. Yep. So and he was the most Spider-Man-y Spider-Man. Uh, it hit all the right notes, right down to him having a Queen's accent, which really sold me on the character. I, I wasn't fully sold on the look of the guy, but then he spoke, and I'm like, okay, yeah, Queen's accent, sold. Yeah, so, uh, see, so yeah, good movie. Um, you've already seen it, so, uh, so yeah. Gonna, let's yeah. just jump on over to Lost at Sea, I think. Yeah. And we'll do Preacher at the end, because we might ramble on that for quite some time. Okay, Lost at Sea is a graphic novel written in 2000. Five-ish, maybe? I don't have the year in front of me right now. And a quick rundown is, Rally doesn't have a soul. A cat stole it, or at least that's what she tells people, or at least that's what she tells pe- would tell people if she told people anything. How did such a shy teenage girl end up in a car with three of her hooligan classmates on a cross-country road trip? Written and drawn by Brian Lee O'Malley of Scott Pilgrim vs. The World fame. This was done before Scott Pilgrim, um, not long before, but uh, it's one of his earlier works. He created it when he was only 24 years old. And take it away, Nick. Um, well, the style of Scott Pilgrim jumps right at you, but mm-hmm. um, really this is... A, a less refined version. Yeah, a less refined version, but really this story is a... Um, this is an understanding of, uh, you know, when... Uh, truly introspective character understanding how they relate, how they actually do relate with everybody else. Um, there's probably more narration than actual dialogue. Yeah, there's a bunch of narration. Um, I would say that it, it's it's just about it's about a, it's about a, a young woman figuring out who she is when she's basically uh, in her early 20s. A, yeah, I, don't I, know, 18, was, I think she 18, might be eighteen, and she's just figuring out figuring out uh, being an adult, I guess, and yeah. uh, having um, less or having those experiences that you know you don't have anything figured out at that age, and being a being a teenager thing, a lot of things feel so incredibly important and life changing, and they uh, and you can be very obnoxiously introspective with uh, introspective without the benefit of experience mm-hmm. um, and so you're really chasing your own tail yeah and this does that it, this is that exploration yeah that is uh, somebody like everybody who's had um, you know stuff that you know stuff in their past that has made you know you know 
bad family stuff or you know relationships relationship stuff that feel makes them feel like they're kind of drifting at sea as the story goes so uh-huh. um the uh i think the book does a great job of it 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 almost teases that it's going to that there are big reveals but in reality it's somebody finding themselves yeah uh the story starts to wander off in some truly bizarre directions and it's a little bit of a bait and switch but it's not the kind of bait and switch that you actually end up kind of more interested and delighted that it was a bait and switch and that it kind of recenters itself in reality yeah um later on in the book because at one point the main character rally is convinced a cat stole her soul mm-hmm. and so they are in this random town in california and they're searching all the local cats to see if they're the one who has rally's soul it, the, i think the real thing is if you don't get into the uh, if you don't get into the 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 inner monologue of this or the or the uh, really um if you don't really buy into her actual um, her inner conflict, then you get nothing out of this book. Yeah, if you if you don't like the rally character early on, hmm. uh, this would be a torturous read. Or uh, don't understand. Or don't understand. Or don't under, yeah, don't empathize with her in any way. Uh, that was not a problem for me, and it sounds like it wasn't a problem for Nick either. I identified with the character right off the bat, and the more she talked and kind of wandered around in her own head the more interested I was with the character and it's just kind of a short sweet story it's much like Scott Pilgrim it's an extremely fast read mm-hmm. it's about a hundred and sixty pages I think uh, yeah the uh, yeah about, about that and you know I read it in maybe 45 minutes uh, yeah I was on a plane so yeah. uh, I may have stretched it out a little bit mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah it wasn't a super long read it's uh, black and white with uh, gray tones, much like Scott Pilgrim. I mean, the art, it's immediately identifiable as Scott Pilgrim, although you're reading a version that is slightly different. Yours is pink. Mm-hmm. Mine is pink. The 10th anniversary edition is ah, pink. I did not read the 10th and anniversary blue. edition. Nice. The, uh, yeah, this was, was, I picked mine up on the uh, Google Books. Oh, I, I actually bought this book probably a year and a half ago. I've had it sitting in my comicsology queue forever, and I just never got around to it. So that's why I don't have the 10th anniversary version. Although I think comicsology has now started offering updates, because it did ask me if I wanted to update the book, and I said no, because I wanted to read the book. So that's actually a cool feature, that comicsology is... I don't know when they added it, but I've never gotten that prompt before. Yes, but it... But dark blue and pink and yeah it I, actually I, adds a nice touch to it yeah so uh but I, the line art is basically straight up scott pilgrim mm-hmm. um although it's not like i said earlier not quite as refined as his work in scott pilgrim which makes sense because that came later and that's kind of his magnum opus yeah so uh um, I think really the thing is about reading this is, is you will read this if um, <laughs> okay if you have lived any part of your adolescent life where you were unsure of yourself or <laughs> may have uh, 
experience some trauma that later on you realize is standard kind of trauma you experience as a teenager, then you might be feel you know some be sympathetic or find the character sympathetic. Um, in that case, you probably are human and may you know may have a brain. Um, otherwise, um, I don't really know what to tell you. Um, yeah. And you prob- you should really write those. Uh, uh, pharmaceutical commercials. Yeah. Do you sometimes feel tired? <laughs> Do you not want to go to work on Tuesdays? Well then, you might have villain name of drug. Have you lost your soul to a cat? Yeah. <laughs> we will help you find your cat. Yes. <laughs> so the uh, so yeah, I, I think it's worth the read. Um, the uh, uh, it's a fun. It's you know it's. Scott Pilgrim was also a fun style of art, and this is uh, this is that same yeah. style. It's fun. Uh, I think that the uh, the way the story pro- the just the story progression is uh, is well paced and just well mm-hmm. thought out. I mean, you really you really are um, learn to get disconnected from where she where you think she's going, and more about where she is. In the mo- in that moment in the story, yeah, which is really interesting because um, that a, a story can be that well paced when so little happens. You spend so much time in the main character's head, and it's really just in a completely you know, introverted story, well, almost entirely. Uh, and writing that kind of story, as I was getting further into it, I kept being a little bit more and a little bit more impressed by the fact that he was keeping me engaged at such a level when, you know, there would be pages and pages where it was only her talking to herself. Yes. Um, That's real hard to do. And that all the signposting was signposting to, it, were, it was all signs to nowhere. Yeah. The yep. uh, you you had to be you, you had to be interested in where she was, yep. um, the people she was with, and and the and the growing influence of the people she was with as the story progresses, mm-hmm. as they intrude more and more. Um, yeah, into a, her world, into her world, which is great. Yeah, because uh, basically it's about her new friends kind of trying to, not trying to, but kind of prying their way into her life and head. And it's not nearly as comedy-based as Scott Pilgrim. It's still fun. Um, there are fun... Well, I can't say it's still fun. There are fun moments. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things characters do that are fun, but you can tell that Brian Lee O'Malley was definitely working on some shit mm-hmm. in this. This wasn't the kind of fun, ridiculous romp that Scott Pilgrim was. Yes. So uh, I think you should read it. Absolutely, yeah. Tenth uh, anniversary version came out. I don't know what did you have to pay for it. I remember uh, I got mine real cheap way back when. I got mine for seven or eight. Seven or eight. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think I ended up getting mine for like three. Yeah, it was. It was the, the what the sale price that I got at the time. Oh, okay. But yeah, uh, big fan of this book. I highly recommend it because you know there aren't that many comics like this there's no action there's no outside conflict it's just about a teenager who spends you know 
probably half the book riding in the backseat of a car. Kind of the essence of indie books. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's it's exploring different territory that we just don't see very often in comics. And it's real, real good. Yeah. So uh, read it. Um, we're not segueing great on this one. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, we're, we're kind of out of sorts. I yeah, think you it's because I have to look at your dumb ass. I know. It's, it's terrible. It is. Yeah, it's, it's discomforting. Hang over my eye. Maybe if I smacked your toe. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, I broke my toe over the weekend. That was super fun. Yeah. It is super fun. Mm-hmm. And then I, in turn, made him walk more the next day. That part was great. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't walked that much. And no. we had to, <clears throat> we had to change some of our weekend plans because I could no longer walk. So that part wasn't yeah, bad. You, you became a <clears throat> shitty tour guide. Yep, I sure did. I was literally a chauffeur. I was basically an unpaid Uber driver because I would take them around to places and I would say, get out of the car. I am going to sit here and play on my phone for 20 minutes because I am not walking. He was good at that. So thank you. Thank you, Brock. Mm -hmm. You've made this a truly special, special trip. I I really try to go above and beyond. So, uh, all right. Now what do we got? Well, you know, there's that one thing. We, we saw some TV show. I can't remember what the name of it is now. Um, no, the name's escaping me. Silence. Yeah, the name's escaping me. It's Preacher, you motherfucker! We're going to talk about Game this. Game of Suicide we're, Squad. We're talking about this because the uh, we've been waiting for this for a Ever. long time. And uh, the uh, it means that finally uh, Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon can stop signing... Um, the checks every once in a while, that, you know, checks that just come in every once in a while to say we're going to make something we're with gonna, this, yeah, and adapt then, this to TV movies, whatever. And then five years later, they get another one of those checks from somebody who says we're going to do something with this. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, so yeah, so now they finally get to receive different checks. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, and uh, of course it's AMC doing it. Yeah, which it'd be a little bit better if it was HBO, but AMC will be able to. Hit the major story notes and be fine. Um, the trailer, it's or the pilot itself. Um, I thought they did a lot wrong in the short term in the trailer, but all the long term elements that I care about, they seem to at least be doing mostly right. You mean the pilot? Uh, yes, I say trailer, I mean pilot. I'm going to keep doing this. I've been doing this for a week now, and I don't know why. But... Uh, They either needed to tone down how many characters they threw into that pilot, or they needed to make it a two-hour pilot episode. I agree with both of those. Um, the uh, major thing that they're doing in the pilot that is not in the comics is that the, the comics don't have a single setting. The um, There are places that the main characters move to and from in different points in time. But there's no like hometown kind of setup. Um, the uh, there are just places where different things happen. Um, so the biggest thing they're doing in the pilot is they seem to be giving preacher a setting. So um, that town of uh, Anvil, Texas, is uh, is getting a character is basically a character in itself now. Um, the uh, versus it pretty much ceasing to be anything in the comics for um, after issue two. Um, 
I no, I could be wrong, and I shouldn't be because I just reread the first several issues of Preacher. But my understanding is the they only spend about one page actually in Anvil. They pick up Jesse Custer at the edge of Anvil where his church is. That's right. And then they leave. Yeah. They never return to Anvil, as far as I know. It's fine that the show started there, but when they're trying to pack in Tulip Cassidy and Jesse and Arseface and the story of Anvil into one 43-minute long episode, it's going to feel rushed. It's going to be Age of yeah. Eltrond, kind yeah. of. So we'll preface this by saying there might be some spoilers sprinkled in here, here and there. If you haven't seen the trailer or haven't seen the pilot yet... Um, yeah, you could skip part of you could skip this because I'm we're going to bring up some elements. Mm-hmm. So there's your warning. Um, so introduction of Arseface. The uh, uh, in the comics, Arseface is introduced in issue three, I think, maybe two. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really become a thing until three or four. Correct. Um, his introduction in that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the playoff between he, he, uh, he and his dad is wonderful. That his dad basically comes home and does not speak to him, does not acknowledge him ever. And the first time his his dad does acknowledge him, it's to ask him to hand him his gun. A gun that he shoots himself with. Yes. Um, the uh, in this one we have a uh, a sheriff route that we get to learn know earlier. Um, he interacts with Jesse and uh, Cassidy much earlier. Um, there is a building of some sort of relationship because uh, Art's face is introduced earlier to... Uh, uh, he's uh, known Jesse for yeah, a while. Yeah, he's known Jesse for a while, which is unfortunate because one of the greatest introductions to him is when uh, Jesse and Cassidy meet him at the same time. Boy, he's got a nurse for her face. <laughs> yep. Um, and the uh, he's and our face screams the best thing to the sky yeah. ever. Um, so that part, I, I I was kind of that was why I was disappointed with the introduction of our face, just mm-hmm. kind of slowly working him in. Um, I liked him as a reveal character. At some yeah, because point. it doesn't make sense for him to go on the hell bent path of vengeance that he does in the comics mm-hmm. if he's known Jesse Custer and attended his church for years. And so I that I mean that whole revenge arc of Arseface I believe ends pretty quickly anyway so I mean they could skip it entirely and it wouldn't be a big deal but why? It's actually kind of a funny little thing it is that funny. this and ridiculous he- character is determined to kill these two Total badasses, basically. Yeah. Well, and he sprinkles back in later in the in the series. He, they don't. They aren't completely done with Art's face. He comes no. back. Yeah. Um, while he decides, you know, after he is no longer to go kill them, he's off finding himself essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, he becomes. Uh, he's in a band. So if he's not in a band in this in this show, I'm going to be very yeah. very disappointed in the entire show. Yeah. Because that's something that needs to happen. Absolutely. Because. Well, I think it'll be telling whether he's in a band based on when they reveal, which I assume is going to be in the second episode, no later in the third, of how he became our space. 
in the comic, he killed himself after, or he stuck a shotgun in his mouth after Kurt Cobain committed suicide. Yeah. So, I, are they going to take that in a different direction? Obviously, it's not going to be Kurt Cobain because that doesn't work at all in 2016. But, I don't know. I just, I was just kind of disappointed that they introduced the character in the first ep- episode at all. Yeah. Just having Tulip, Cassidy, and Jesse packed together was almost too much to handle. Yep, and uh, I, I, I mean, I, I still feel there's a, still a lot of real positives. I mean, the casting it. they nailed. Cass- um, well, first yeah. of all, Cassidy is great. Yeah. Um, he still has the best delivery of what I do. Yeah. Um, that I've seen in a show. Um, the. Uh, when he's first the first introduction to him, I felt like they were introducing him a bit too like he was important to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he's uh, but when he's down in Inville, Texas, then all of a sudden he seems to be. Uh, yeah, you know, it almost seemed like there's this group of secret vampire hunters who had been chasing him for ages, and it was a little bit weird to introduce it that way because, like you said, it made it feel like he's. A guy on the run, and I don't remember Casty ever being really on the no. run. In the comics, he was just a drifter. Yeah, the, the, one of the thing that was imp- yeah, it was one of the things that was important to Cassidy is that Cassidy was a force of nature, mm-hmm. uh, and this is and aimless and aimless, and this is. Uh, it seems like they give him some sort of purpose in this. Um, which it'd be see, interesting to see how they play out. I mean, the actor is great, and so far his demeanor is great. Um, but there was a the aimlessness was actually crafted to that character. It wasn't just it had it wasn't aimlessness that had right no, down right. to the way he dressed and everything. Exactly, there was yeah. a, it was it was him, and it caused uh, his decisions and the people he affected was very much because of who he was. Yep. Um, so giving him a purpose now that means that the uh, you've retooled the character significantly. Yeah. So um, so there's a lot of things that are different um, in you know, that you can see just from the pilot. Um, um, a lot of people question the choice of Dominic Cooper, I think is his name, for Jesse Custer. I thought he was great. Uh, he sold me on being Jesse Custer pretty quick. Yeah, well, it was wait- you're waiting. You're waiting for him. Uh, they're stretching that period of time where Jesse Custer is just kind of a beaten down, um, yeah, local town preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, and in order for him to, you know, be the Jesse Custer, we know we have to see Jesse Custer, the badass. Yeah, and we did get a uh, small flavor of that. Um, in the pilot, but one thing that really bothered me about the pilot was, and this is going to be a big spoiler, is it's kind of twofold, but it's all about the same thing. How they visually represent the word. Um, you know, in the comic, his eyes would turn red and then the word lettering would turn red. It was a very simple oh, mechanism. Yeah. But there's no visual cue and it feels it feels like they kind of half-assed it where the screen just kind of shakes and this weird you know mm-hmm. goes on in the background and I was like no it, it I was just sitting there watching the trailer and I was thinking about it on the fly and I'm like what if 
everything stayed color but Jesse turned black and white? What if the inverse of that happened? What if everything around him turned red? There could have been, and those all would have been more expensive to do, but they wouldn't have been kind of half-ass lame. And I feel like they kind of half-ass lamed the actual visual and audio representation Mm -hmm. of the word, which, I mean, is the crux of Preacher. I mean, his (laughs) him having that ability is the story. And I thought that should have been... The viewer should have been kind of just slapped in the face with it the first time they saw Mm -hmm. it. That didn't happen. I was disappointed about that. Um, And then second, he tells a guy to do something, and the guy misunderstands Jesse in an obvious and really unnecessary way. Yeah. And I was like, come on, guys. I understand that you're trying to show that the word can accidentally be misused by Jesse. But there are a hundred ways you can do it that don't involve somebody intentionally misunderstanding him. Well, the way that it first happens in the book is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Um, go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah. Go fuck yourself. Um, the, uh, yeah. And if that's not in the... I don't know what to tell anybody if that's not in the... Yeah, I mean, that's... that's Arse face. That's, that's how it's that, created. That is how Arse's face is created. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, so that has to be there because uh, if Jesse is literal, people take it literally. Yep. But I, the, the what they did. To but he me, wasn't even a little bit literal yeah. in the case they used it. It just didn't make any sense because the mechanism of the word is that people do have free will in which, in the manner in which they achieve a certain goal. Mm-hmm. Um. It's not like, I, I can't come up with an example on the fly, but they do have some wiggle room of how to interpret the words. They just have to interpret the words. And the way Jesse used the phrase that this person ended up carving himself to pieces didn't make any sense. Because the guy didn't have to, he didn't have to interpret it that way. And Jesse didn't say it that way it was yeah it just didn't make sense it, yeah. it felt again like they half-assed it a little bit and there's one there's one last piece um so they changed a major cell story element and you know right off the bat that they did and that was um jesse's dad mm-hmm. um jesse's dad um is wearing a collar in flashbacks yep so uh you ever read the book? You read the books? Uh, go read them. But I'm going to tell you in the books, uh, he's not a preacher. Um, the uh, it's part of uh, Jesse's fucked up family. Um, the uh, which has to be there, of course. Um, there's some very exciting characters that they had to bring in later. Um, Jody being a big one. Um, I would really still really want to see who they cast for Jody because. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the treatment that Garthinus has for a dangerous hick, essentially, is uh, is brilliant. They have this the stupid dangerous hick, but then you have the actual cunning, uh, danger like truly phys- menacing and smart, yeah, uh, antagonist. Um, but they changed a little bit of the dynamic of that of that family, so. Um, 
I mean, we'll get to see later, but it, it seems like there's there's some changes that we're seeing that feel unnecessary. Yeah, they really do. And um, another thing that they changed in the pilot is that the um, what's the sh- group? Uh, the name of that shadow organization? Oh, um, the they're already introduced, and they have yeah. nothing to do with the beginning of the story, and they may be making an appearance at the removal of the Saint of Killers, who is in the first arc. Yeah. Because, correct well, the, me if I'm wrong, the Saint of Killers did not appear in that pilot. Well, the, the first two people we're seeing, we're seeing who we think might be the, who we think might be the angels. That's what I suspected. Yeah. And, then, and that was another thing they did in the pilot. They threw a lot at you, and they threw a bit too much at you because we didn't really need to see that yet. Um, and... I don't know. Uh, they're they they're not spending any time actually up in heaven or whatever the name of uh, that place where much of the comic book takes place, and the angels and that the groups the power brokers up there explain backstory, which they're not doing any of that in the show. So I can understand them wanting to introduce earthly elements to try to get that part of the story out there and make sense of it, but. They did absolutely nothing to imply that we would see the Saint of Killers. The Grail. The Grail, yes. So I don't know if they were the Grail. I don't know if they were angels. It was all pretty vague. Because the Grail has to come. The Grail has to come later. You can't. Yeah, do you them. can't start with the Grail. It doesn't make any sense because you need to get through what Genesis is. Um, you need to show the two. Um, Two groups in heaven: the angels, and then the other. Uh, well, you yeah, the, the seraphim and seraphim, the, the seraphim and the, and the lower angels. Yeah, um, and you need to kind of explain how that's happening. You need to explain that Genesis has escaped and that they're trying to get it back, which naturally leads you into the Saint of Killers. Yeah, you storyline. Which you got enough on your hands with. Yeah, this, exactly. This, you don't want the Grail yeah. involved. The Grail, the Grails. That's like the Grails. Season yeah. two or three or yeah. something like that. You really don't need to be that or be that early with the Grail. Um, Hairstar is a later, uh, a later mm-hmm. character. Um, yeah, you've got enough on your hands. And if the you're Saint introducing them that early, it means you're chopping out the Saint of Killers, which is really unfortunate because he's one of the best characters. He's a the, great character. He's iconic. You can't yeah. you can't have the you can't have the uh, series without Saint of Killers. No. So yeah. I just don't understand what they were doing and it really should have been a double part episode I think I probably would have been a lot happier with it but I like the big things I like the casting of Jesse Tulip and Casty. Um, I like the way those three characters interact and in Preacher you've done the majority of things right if you've gotten those pieces together yeah uh, they've teased enough to say that they've got Dominic, uh, Dominic Cooper is going to be in the right direction um, you're just stretching that weak Jesse a little bit right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tulip, um, the way she's introduced, um, is definitely different. Um, way and, different. Because she builds confidence in in the uh, comics. And she's from Anvil, which is a bit problematic. Well, yeah. That makes the history of them oh, all sorts of weird. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, so it's unless she's been gone for five or ten years yeah. or something, then you can maybe explain it away. 
but yeah as it stands now it's just it leaves people my wife was intrigued by it she's never read preacher she was intrigued by so it and wanted to see yeah. more but she had no idea what was going on so as a new viewer basically somebody's just compute confused as fuck as preacher readers were confused as fuck yeah. so that's a bit of a problematic pilot on your hands at that point because everybody who watches it is just confused and that can create intrigue but there's not much to hold but you have on a to. lot but they have a lot to do in the next couple episodes they really do I mean, they have to they have they, to establish real direction yep um, because uh, they need to get them out on the road they do they need to get them out on the road fast because yeah, well, that's well, and and that 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 mean that has to be and you, and I figure the inciting element is going to be Saint of Killers. Yeah, yeah, that's my because once well. Saint of Killers comes to town, I don't think I don't think Anvil survives uh, Saint of Killers. No, I just hope they don't stretch that out to the half season mark, yeah. or the, or God forbid, the end of the first season. Yeah, that would actually piss me off because your preacher works best when it's on the road and they're traveling and they're. You know, adventuring essentially. Maybe that's why they. Maybe that's why they wanted to introduce introduce Anvil was so you would have the Saint of Killers killing everybody there mean something. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he kills Anvil. I think he kills some other town or something along the way. He does. Um, Jesse kills Anvil. Oh, he, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. They kind of shifted that the exploding mm-hmm. preacher in the in the uh, one place. Or the, yeah, in Africa or wherever yeah, it was. So yeah. And you're like, he exploded while everybody else was still alive. Uh, versus the when Genesis finds Jesse in the first place, and I was a little bit bummed that they did that because that's what puts Jesse on the road. Yeah, and I guess you would turn around and have Saint of Killers do it. Yeah, I think Saint that of also works. But I think they didn't want to start with the with Jesse being the one who kills the town, and they because they want they want you they wanted the audience to feel more attached to Jesse and feel the uh, and when the Saint of Killers comes through, really understand that he is a. Um, he's a bad, bad man. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I can understand their decision. I just, I like that aspect of Jesse because yeah. it gave him, it gave him a lot of motivation in various ways of controlling Genesis, um, getting out on the road and finding out why he has it, um, feeling guilt over basically killing an entire town. Mm. Um, there's there's a lot of depth to the character that comes along with it, but. You know, it, it that's one of those decisions I can definitely kind of just wash away without getting too upset about. I just need to see where they're going to go with it. And you know what? We're going to watch. Um, I, I oh, absolutely. Because there will be no other adaptation of Preacher. Mm-hmm. This is it. Uh, I'm going to watch and uh, uh, the, uh, put some faith in them that they really, you know, as fans of the actual comics, are going to try and be faith- as faithful as they can to well, it. I hope so, yeah. Um, so um, I don't say that for a lot, but uh, this is this is my uh, first real comic book that I read, and uh, yeah, I, I can't not have it. And so now I, that the uh, show is out, Nick and I are going to start reading the entire series again. Yep. And we will review it probably, I would guess, maybe at the mid-season mark. Yeah, because uh, we have a lot of reading to do. Yeah, that's sixty some issues. So, and on top of our other books that we'll be reading in the meantime will probably you know get through a volume or two a week and then you know in in a couple months we'll be uh, doing the whole series and it'll just be only preacher the entire episode and if you haven't read it uh shame on you 
Uh, yeah. But you need to go out and read it. Go right and now. read it. It's one of the best front to back comic series ever created. Yeah. It's a little bit dated now because you know it was written started in '95 or whatever. But uh, you know, the, it being dated isn't the worst thing in the world, and it's it overwhelmingly still holds up. Yeah, the so. character development is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, even there's even character development for some of the characters that uh, you know, some of the most the weirdest characters in that book get their own development. Yeah, um, the uh, uh, it's all the way through. It's a, it, and it's it's a satisfying book all the way to the end. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, definitely, definitely, definitely read it. We're going to talk about it because we uh, we'd put it off for a long time because we knew we were just going to sit and gush over the book. Uh, but we'll try to do a better job of breaking it down than that. Um, but uh, it was something we were going to have to do at some point. Yeah. Yep, and this is a good excuse to go back and read it all because there's some parts I haven't read since the mid-90s. I've gone back and read most of the series since then, but there are some of the early volumes I didn't go back and reread, so I hadn't read them since, you know, 95, 96, 97, uh, when the books came out. And so there's a lot of stuff as I'm getting through the first few issues, I'm like, oh man, I completely forgot about that. So it's, it's a lot like reading a new book. Uh, because I've forgotten so much of what happened in it. Yep. So uh, uh, watch the show, read the comic, and uh, we will be, and we'll probably be bringing it up a couple more times. As yeah, pretty along. regularly, I assume. Um, the, uh, uh, because I have, uh, my wife and I pretty much, uh, we watched The Walking Dead, but Fear the Walking Dead fell off of our viewing. Yeah, I don't watch either one. Yeah, uh, but uh, Fear the Walking Dead just kind of went off into the abyss with us um, so we still feel obligated enough to watch The Walking Dead it does some interesting things at times mm-hmm. some good things at times uh, but Fear the Walking Dead we uh, when we realized we only liked one character and the rest could have eaten, been eaten by zombies and we would have been just as happy Yeah, um, that uh, it was time to stop watching sure uh, so um, but otherwise um, yeah this, so this is our uh, new Sunday AMC show right now yeah the uh how many episodes in the first season? No, Do you know? No clue. No clue. No clue. Uh, usually thirteen for Walking Dead. Is it or no? That's Netflix. Is it? Uh, yeah, Netflix is thirteen. Uh, I think they've been. Do- have they been doing eight and eight or something like something that? Something like that. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, um, that's about all I have to talk about today. Um, we will maybe be back next week. What's more likely is that we'll be back the following week because I'm going to be gone for a wedding next week, so chances are that I will not be home long enough to record. Uh, uh, yeah, and I have to get home and get over the smell of this bastard. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for listening. Be sure to drop us a line at countercomic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at schlockworks.com where you can view podcast archives, check in on some of our other projects. Or swing by iTunes or Stitcher and give us a review. That's all I have for today. I'm Brock Beauchamp. You do a really good job of rattling that off the I end know. of the episode. I just wanted I to tell you I've gotten really good at it. And, you know, the completely dead eye stare that you have when you do it is perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, I go on autopilot for that in a big way. Good job. All right, yeah. all right. Uh, I'm Nick Hemsing, and we're out of here. Okay, bye-bye, everybody.